Verse 1 says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an offer there, an altar there, and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Uh, let's pray. God, we, we do just turn to you now, Lord, and we ask that you uh, would just speak to us through your word. God, we ask that you would help us to understand uh, what you're saying to us, Lord, why you would tell us these things. And God, I also just pray uh, that you would help us each to see individually where you want to apply them to our lives. And God, we just pray uh, for the faith and the, the trust uh, to walk it out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. All right, so if we go back and start in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. So the first thing that I found is really interesting there is that like it's it shows clearly that God tested Abraham. So I have to like ask myself like what well, why would God test Abraham? Like does God test us so that he needs to know what's going to come out of our hearts, what's going to be the outcome? Obviously not. Uh, God knows all things. The Bible is very clear about this. He knows them before they happen. So he's not testing Abraham so that he can learn something about Abraham. Um Interestingly, if you're looking for, you know, stuff that God can't do, 
Uh, God can't learn something. God already knows everything. Um, so it's for us as people to learn something. I think in this case, it's for Abraham to learn something. Um, and it's for the purpose of it being written down for you know thousands of years for us to be able to, to learn and see what God's showing us. So God allows various tests in our lives for his purposes. Maybe, maybe some of them would be to show us uh, our strengths, or maybe it would be to show us our weaknesses, uh, or maybe just to show his strength in our lives, to show our dependence on him. But he does use these types of things, these tests, to bring to the surface things in our lives uh, that we may never know were there if he didn't test us in these ways. So Abraham doesn't know this yet. Uh, you know, he's just answering, you know, here I am. Uh, but this is going to be a difficult test. And a lot of times I think God uses difficulty in our lives for our benefit and for the benefit of those around us to show who he is, to show his strength. Um, James chapter 1 verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Guys, I don't know about you, but I want the second half of that verse in my life. You know, the whole thing about uh, its perfect work, you know, you being perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Like, I'll sign up for that. Um, but God's telling us that we get to that through various trials and testing of our faith. Uh, that's not quite as fun of, of something to have in our lives, but it's how God works uh, over and over again. We see that through the scriptures and we see it in our own lives. Verse two, then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So God's just asking from him a simple task, right? Uh, no, um, not even close. He's asking him to take his son uh, and offer him as a burnt offering. Crazy. Um, Bible scholars would say that Isaac would be about 30 years old at this time in his life. And Abraham, he was about 100 years older, so he's about 130. Um, so it's, it's absolutely, I, I can't even imagine what Abraham was thinking when he heard this. But God tells him this one time, and we'll see as we go through the story that Abraham is fully intent on obeying. Um, he does it right away. So Isaac, if you remember, he was the son of the promise that Abraham had waited so long for. Remember, Abraham was promised uh, to have descendants and heirs. And, you know, he waited and he waited and he waited. And he and Sarah had this, this great idea that, um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe God's promise needs like a little bit of help from us, you know. So let's come up with this extra plan, you know, because like God gave you the promise, but um, it's not really working out yet. So God probably needs a little bit of help for us to make it happen. Um, but remember, he had this, this promise of his descendants being greater than the number of the stars, uh, greater than the sand. And Abraham tried you know, to fulfill that promise through Hagar. And then uh, a couple chapters after that, in chapter 17, God clearly tells Abraham that his line through Isaac would be the way that God would keep his promise, not through his son Ishmael. So calling 
Isaac, his only son, is recognizing Isaac as the son of the promise, not the son of works. He's recognizing this is the fulfillment of the promise that I have for you. Um, and God's reminding Abraham, I think, even by calling him that, it's very specific. He's reminding him, remember, you, last time you thought that I needed help keeping the promise, and I didn't need help. And I'm asking you to do something now uh, where I'm not going to need help as well. So I think that, like, honestly, that's a, that's a good reminder for all of us to be intentional, uh, to be very careful not to get into the mindset of thinking that God needs our help to finish something. You know, like, like maybe, you know, there's some kind of work, you know, that, 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 that you think God's doing, but he needs, he needs you, you know, to, um, to do it because he didn't, he didn't quite finish it or he couldn't quite work it. Um, God is faithful to keep his promises, just not always in the time that we like. Um, it's also interesting that he mentions uh, that this is the son that he loves. Um, we're going to see this a couple times tonight, but this is the first time that the word love is mentioned in the Bible. And we're going to talk, talk more about love because obviously that plays a big part of um, this study tonight. Uh, he tells him that he wants them to go to the land of Moriah. Um, which if you continue reading in the Bible, you know, this is, this is the first mention of, of this mountain, uh, Moriah, uh, but it's the place where Solomon built the temple. Um, scholars have even said that it's the place of, the highest point of Mount Moriah is the place where Golgotha would have been. So it's the same place you know, that he wants him to go to where the temple was, and it's the same place uh, where Jesus was crucified. Um, so it's, it's, it's crazy when you think about it that he's having him go to this exact spot. Um, and remember, he's asking him to offer him as, as a burnt offering. Um, most of you guys are probably very familiar with what a burnt offering is, but at this point, like, Abraham doesn't even have uh, the Mosaic law to specify, like, what the offering should look like and everything. Uh, there's definitely cases of offerings in the Bible before this. We have uh, Cain and Abel both bringing an offering to the Lord, um, you know, one of which was accepted and one of which, which was not accepted. Uh, we have Noah offering a, a burnt offering uh, after the ark landed of um, various clean animals and birds. Um, but even before the law came, Abraham recognized that um, this sacrifice, this burnt offering sacrifice, was an act of, of worship. So verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. First thing I notice here is that he got up early to go. Like, man, I, like how many of you guys, if you felt like God was telling you something really hard to do, would get up early to do it? <laughs> like, that's probably not my initial reaction. It's probably not my... my uh, my first response to God asking me to do something difficult. Uh, but Abraham didn't hesitate. He obeyed immediately. He started all the provisions early in the morning so he could just do this right away. Uh, and I think it's a beautiful picture of, of his obedience and his knowing that God called him to it. Um, you know, we don't even have an indication that God told him which mountain yet. He could have justified and been like, well, you know, as soon as God tells me, you know, which mountain it's going to be, you know, he said, he said he'll show me, so I'll just, I'll just wait until I have all the details, and then uh, I'll go then. And, I mean, you guys know, 
the Christian walk, walking by faith, a lot of times it doesn't work like that. Um, I've heard a lot of a lot of smart people say that when God gives you uh, something that you know is from Him, um, even if you don't know all the details, it's very wise and a very good faith response to take that little step of what you do know, and then as you take that step, God reveals the rest to you as you need to know it. Um, so that probably looks very different in each one of our lives, but they think about it from the end of the story, like what a beautiful testimony uh, of Abraham's that he got up early and went. Um, you know, just the simple fact that he didn't drag his feet, he didn't hesitate. Um, he just wanted to obey the Lord immediately. Verse four, then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Man, sometimes I've just read through that verse and not really thought too much about it. Like, yeah, so he went. But like, this was a three-day journey that he was taking. Like, in his mind, his son was essentially, you know, like dead at this point for three days. Um, so talk about a road trip, you know, like just um, sometimes I hate going on a trip, you know, where it's like, you know, a couple hours in the car or something. But here he is like three days into this journey of someplace that, um, you know, Practically speaking, as a person, he probably has every reason in the world not to want to go there. Um, but he's continuing on for three days. There's probably a, a battle going on internally between faith and fear for Abraham. So verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So here, I imagine that he's telling them, to stay there because they probably wouldn't understand. Um, I know I wouldn't understand if I was on a road trip, you know, with like my friend and their dad, you know, and he started doing something weird like this. That would be weird. Um, so it seems like this is something that Abraham and Isaac need to go um, themselves. But it's interesting. He says uh, that they're going to go and worship. Uh, so this is another one of those words that's mentioned for the first time in the Bible here, worship. Um, even just like thinking about the fact that Abraham called what they were doing worship, like I imagine that even as you're thinking about that tonight, it creates this huge like mental gap of the difference between what Abraham called worship and what, you know, we in the year 2023, you can just think of as this is, you know, Christian worship. You know, it's just, it's singing along with some songs. You know, it's, it's, it's the portion of the church service, which like you can get to, or it's like a buffer if you're running a little bit late. Um, you know, it's a time where you can go get your coffee and, you know, you can sing a couple songs. It's almost like, uh, like entertainment time. Um, you know, there's a mentality that we can, we can fall to that. Um, but here, Abraham's idea of worship was a deliberate act of obedience and trust that God was able, big enough, strong enough, loving enough to keep his promises. So I think that worship the way Abraham is describing it is declaring God's trustworthiness with our actions. Uh, it's a whole lot harder than just singing along with somebody playing a piano or a guitar, right? It's funny, um, a lot of you guys probably have heard this quote, but I think that it's really uh, fitting. But um, if, you know, if you know Pastor Ron, uh, he's said many times that Christians 
uh, never lie as much as when they're worship as, as, as when they're singing is when they're you know singing worship music you know just talking about like all the things uh, that they're gonna do and you know how they're gonna view God and how they're gonna do all these things and um, you know even even personally um, you know over the years that I've been involved with worship music like I've I've intentionally tried to stay away from songs like that focus on uh, God I'm gonna do all these great things for you. Uh, because there's a lot of worship songs like that that are like, God, I would, I, you know, I would run six marathons in a row, you know, like, I would, you, like, you you laugh and think, like, well, that's ridiculous, but, like, there, there are worship songs that have ridiculous lyrics, you know, about, like, how good we're going to respond to God, um, and, like, some, some of them I've even, you know, sang and led over different times in my life, and then I've realized probably by some people that were smarter than me and said like that's not really a very good representation of god <laughs> um you know and and i've grown a little bit in that aspect to say like wow like we really need to be singing worship songs that focus on on god's goodness and his worth um sure it's okay you, you, you know to to sing you know something about what our response should be but our response should just be faith and trust in the work that god's doing and you know even this even the good stuff that comes out of our lives it's not because you know we were so inspired that we had this this uh, great response to god but it's that god you know through his mercies was willing to work in our lives and willing to bring good things out of us for abraham his worship was completely based in action not just lip service You know, it's funny, uh, another thing that I think can become um, part of like a Christian culture about worship um, is that we can, we can tend to have like this, this view of worship and then singing to God, um, and we almost blend it with like, uh, like, like reality shows of the last like 10 years or so, where like we imagine like if I if I can sing really well, then like God's gonna, you know, push his button that says he wants me, you know, or he's gonna like turn his chair around or something. He's gonna be like, whoa, that Christian is so good. Like, this is amazing. Um, and I, I think that that can like subtly creep into our hearts, but like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Like God, God is not impressed by any one of our skills. Like, Psalm 8.4 says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Um, you know, it doesn't make any sense that any of our skills would impress God and that he would be like, wow, you're, you're a really good singer, you know, like you're, you're a really good clapper, you know, or you play that instrument, really amazing. Um, you know, God gave each and every one of us our skill set. So he's not impressed by how amazing we sing or play an instrument or dance or and anything else. He's not impressed by it. And the contrary is is also true that he's not annoyed by any of our lack of skill set in singing either. So like for those of you that feel like, well, I can't sing, you know, on key, I can't sing on tempo, you know, I sound like a dying frog when I try and sing, whatever it is, like God doesn't hear that and be like, oh, yuck. Like I remember the movie, um, uh, Happy Feet, you know, like some of you guys have probably seen that movie. Like, you know, it's an old, old uh, animated movie. And, you know, like all these penguins are trying to impress each other with how amazing they sing. And like this one, you know, sings horrible and they're all disgusted by him. And I feel like sometimes the Christian community can be like that, like where, where we just want to like lift up and exalt the people that are like a really, you know, talented singer or something. 
And, um, you know, then the ones that, like, just, you know, sound horrible, um, in our perception, um, you know, we, we just kind of want to, you know, hope that they're not that loud. Um, I've even done this, you know, you know, being part of like leading worship, you know, I've always, you know, like I'll, I'll be honest, like there's some, there's one place I remember leading worship where I was hoping like, oh man, if that guy with that voice sits right in front of me, oh, it's going to be really hard. <laughs> and I understand there's a balance there with like trying to, to actually like, like lead people in singing. Um, but that heart mentality can come in, you know, that, uh, that by us doing a beautiful job in our own estimation, that we feel like God's more impressed by that or, or that God's uh, more, more blessed by that or more honored by that. And I think that it's really important for us to realize that God gave us all the skill sets that we have and he's more impressed with what the real issue is in our heart and not necessarily how we sound to each other. Um, you know, and in this case, uh, you know, what God's really looking for from Abraham is his willingness to trust him and his willingness to say yes uh, without even understanding, you know, why you would be asking this from me, God. And yet, for some reason, you know, God tells us over and over again in his word to sing to him. He He talks about, you know, uh, singing, being part of worshiping the Lord. Um, you know, so it's, it's not completely separated here. Um, but the idea is that it's it's probably more... Um, tied together with obedience and a heart issue than we generally make it. So Abraham's comment, I think, is really beautiful here. He's saying, we will go worship and we will come back to you. Um, definitely an act of faith, even him just saying, yes, we're going to obey, and yes, we are going to come back. Uh, Hebrews 11 gives us a little bit more of a glimpse into what Abraham was thinking uh, chapter 11, verse 17 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And listen to this. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham fully knows at this point Yes, this is the child of promise. Yes, God has asked me to kill him. Uh, but Abraham is putting his faith and trust in God, saying, even though this doesn't make any sense, even though, to my natural mind, these two things are completely uh, incapable of existing together, I'll still believe that God is capable to make this work. Let's go to verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. So we see a, a few more parallels here. Uh, notice Isaac is carrying the wood of the offering the same way that Jesus carried his cross. And Isaac, he's recognizing that something is missing. So he speaks up and 
this is another one of those first time places in the Bible. This is the first time that the, that the word lamb is used. Um, he's asking where is the lamb for a burnt offering. And interestingly, uh, you know, the, the word lamb is used a lot of times in the Bible. So in this, in this case, it's the first time in the Bible that the word's being used. And Isaac's asking, where is this lamb? Um, the first time that the word lamb is used in the New Testament, it's when John is saying, behold, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. So it's kind of like the first time you see it in the Old Testament, it's like this question of where is this lamb? And the New Testament picks right up with the answer for it. Uh, Jesus is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The language here about Abraham's response is kind of interesting too, that God will provide for himself. Um, I'm certainly not a uh, Hebrew scholar by any means, but I know that some various translations um, simplify this. Instead of saying God will provide for himself the lamb, uh, they, they, they translate it as God will provide himself the lamb. Uh, which is a really beautiful picture too, you know, just looking forward to the work that Jesus would do uh, on the cross. Let's go to verse nine. Then they came to the place where God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So we have a lot of details here of like every single step that Abraham did. And I imagine that like everyone was an act of faith and obedience for Abraham, you know, just like building an altar, you know, putting the wood there, actually tying up his son, putting him on, on the altar, uh, and then about to slay him. And honestly, like, I think if you're, if you're hearing this part of the story, like whether you've heard it a hundred times or whether you've heard it, you know, maybe for the first time tonight, um, and you're, especially if you're a parent, you know, if you have a kid, like you're probably a little bit bothered by this story. I know I can't read it without being a little bit bothered by it. Almost like, like agitated in a sense, um, you know, of like, like almost to make you angry in the sense of saying like, like why would anyone allow their child, you know, to be sacrificed as a burnt offering? Why, why in the world would anyone do that? And then you start to realize, like, okay, God, God has set this up as a foreshadowing, as an example, as a parallel to show me what he's willing to do with his son, Jesus. So all of that, that anger, that frustration, that agitation, you start to realize from that the depth of the love, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and why that was so incredibly more loving than we deserve. And you start to realize, like, God, why on earth would you love us that much? That, that's just, like, ridiculous. Like, God, God you, would, you would give up your own son? And then, if you start to continue thinking about it, I think you realize that that was never even God's plan B to try and fix the sin of the world. Like Adam and Eve, when they sinned, God wasn't up in heaven going, oh, shoot, the whole thing is messed up now. Like, oh, man, I got to find something else to do. So I have to imagine that this was the plan of God from before time began, that he created us to understand that deep love and especially that relationship between a parent and a child to understand just how close that is and how we would want 
um, you know, to provide everything for them and take care of them, and why it was so meaningful uh, for God to be willing to give his son for us. And I think that he did it that way intentionally uh, because it helps us to understand the love that God has for us. You know, it'd be one thing if, uh, you know, if God could just be up in heaven and be like, okay, we'll let that one slide, we'll let that one slide, we'll let that, let that one slide, because then you would feel like, okay, you know, like maybe God, you know, just lets some things slide and maybe he doesn't, you know, like whatever, it's his prerogative. Um, but when he explains it to you, when he gives you emotions that you can understand, uh, like the love between a parent and a child, and he teaches you about those relationships, and then he teaches you about like his willingness to sacrifice uh, for us, um, I think that that's, in, I think they were made intentionally to be able to understand that, intentionally to be blown away by that. It's almost like when you watch, you know, some kind of sappy movie, and at the end, it's like, oh, but the, the whole time, I don't know, I don't have a good example, but you guys probably have a couple that you're thinking of now. Um, but I feel like this is like the ultimate example of something like that, that, that God would love us so much. And I feel like that's why it's so meaningful for Jesus to be able to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. And Romans 5, 7 goes on even farther to say, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's really easy to like look at our circumstances and try and decide you know, how much God loves us, right? You don't even have to try and do it. It's just like a subtle thing that you can fall back into if, if you're not careful. Um, but the Bible is very clear that God's love for us is shown you know, through, through Jesus and through his redemption for us. 1 John 4, 9 says it, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. A lot of beautiful verses there about the love of God for us and what it actually means. Let's get back to the story with Abraham. Uh, quick, because the knife is up, right? Verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You know, the, like this whole story reminds me a lot of like the book of Job. And, uh, you know, in both those cases, like, we can look at it from the outside and we can say, okay, well, it was a test the whole time. So, like, yeah, they did good. They passed. Um, but they didn't know it was a test. Neither one of them. They, they just knew what was happening in the moment. They didn't know anything else. Um, so I have to imagine that their, their faith wasn't based on their circumstances, their faith had to, be, had to be based on who they knew God was. So in the same way, because of the truths, the promises that God's revealed to us, even if we are in the midst of a test or a trial, we can know the end result too. Even if it looks dark now, if it looks scary now, if it looks hard. Um, you know, kind of reminds me even of like looking at the world nowadays. Like, 
it's really easy to look at the stuff that like they're pushing on kids that are young and um, just the different diabolical plans that people have come up with uh, over the years. And it seems like have been more and more prevalent nowadays. It's really easy to look at that and, and, and be discouraged uh, based on like how dark the world really looks. Um, but God's promises are still there and they're still valid. Every single one of them. And honestly, I feel like in a lot of ways, like this, this generation that's growing up now that has so much, um, so much push to embrace the world and embrace the darkness, I feel like there's so much room there for the Lord to work because he's still uh, the same God. He still has the same promises. He still gives the same mercy and grace. It's still the same Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us into truth. And if the world just gets darker and darker and darker, then honestly, I feel like that just makes the light of the gospel shine brighter and more and more obvious. Um, honestly, I, I think one of the really hard things uh, for people, and I'm, you know, I'm just thinking about uh, kids in general now, um, as, as they're growing up, you know, to be part of like a family that's like, pseudo-Christian, you know, like moral, but no real reason to be moral. Um, that doesn't give people any hope, you know, like it doesn't give people any reason to do anything, you know, better than the rest of the world does. The only, the only way that we're going to have to live righteously, to, to, to do anything right, to, to deal with sin in our lives, uh, to resist temptation is only going to be through Jesus working in us. So like I, I try you know, to remind myself to not get necessarily mad at the world for just proving that they need a savior. You know, not to get mad at the world when they do the only thing that they know how to do, which is sin. And instead, uh, I pray for the light of the gospel to be bright in their lives. You know, hopefully it's through my life. Hopefully, hopefully it's through your lives. Let's go to verse 13. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Guys, first of all, I have never, ever, ever seen a ram or any animal with horns stuck in a thicket before. Like, I challenge every one of you guys, you know, to go down to the Cape May Zoo and just, you know, go, go to one of those goats that's like this big and just grab its horn and see if you can hold it there. <laughs> like, that thing will fight you. Um, and it, it will guaranteed get loose. Um, so even just the fact that Abraham would turn and see a ram with his horns caught in a thicket and he's stuck there, like, it's absolutely the provision of the Lord um, in a very supernaturally natural way. Um, yes, it was stuck, but this is not just going to happen by itself. And I can also imagine, um, you know, if any of you have ever seen an animal that's, like, stuck someplace, it is loud and annoying and, like, crazy. So just the fact that, like, they didn't, you know, see this, they weren't disrupted by this the entire time that they were there, uh, it's just the provision of the Lord being like put on a platter right in front of them. There's no coincidence. Um, there it is. Just It's God's provision at exactly the time it was desperately needed, uh, and they didn't see it even a minute earlier. 
And I think that God provides in our lives a lot of, a lot of times in that same way, you know, where God knows what we need. Maybe God gave us a promise and we're sitting there thinking, God, this promise, like, I, I'm out of time. You know, like, I don't see any fulfillment for it. Um, keep trusting the Lord. You know, God can provide that ram right there when you need it. God can provide the next steps. Verse 15, Then an angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So this story, this story ends with a blessing that God reaffirms to Abraham, uh, including the promised line of the Messiah. Like, what an amazing blessing for Abraham to have. And I can't help but notice, like, all over the Bible, like, God uses this type of symbolism in many places to show us, you know, who we are, who he is, how we can relate to him. Um, but it seems to be, like, he's very, very particular that we get it right. Like, when he's using symbolism, you um, know, even just, like, think to the story of, of, of Moses. You know, he told Moses, you know, the first time to uh, strike the rock in the wilderness and that the water would come out. And he did. And then, you know, they needed water again. And uh, God told him, speak to the rock. And most of you guys probably know the story. Moses didn't speak to the rock. He went and he did the same thing that he did the last time. He struck the rock again, uh, which seems like to a lot of us, you'd be like, so what? He hit the rock with a stick. You know, like, is that really that big of a deal? But to God, it was a huge deal because he told Moses because of that thing. Okay, Moses, remember your job was to take the people to the promised land? Well, guess what, buddy? You're not going to make it now. Um, and Moses ends up dying before they get to the promised land. Doesn't mean that he's not saved. Doesn't mean that God doesn't, you know, bring him to heaven, any of that stuff. But Moses didn't see the fruition of this work in his life. And I think that, you know, that there's a couple things to note there. One um, is that God's really particular that the analogies that he is is showing, you know, in the scriptures, in our lives, are accurate. Um, and I think that that's one of the main reasons why the enemy loves to attack those specific things uh, in our lives and in society. Like, even just think of, of the, like, the assault on the, on the family the last couple of years. Um, so it seems like God's particular about the analogies being correct, and Satan would love to just ruin those analogies. Um, but we know, we know how this story ends. Um, we know that God's triumphant. So I think that it's important for us as we're going through, you know, a trial, whatever it is, uh, a testing of our faith where God's calling us to something that we don't necessarily know why or how or what, or, you know, why would you even say this? God, it doesn't make any sense. God, this is a terrible thing to ask. Uh, but we know that we can be confident trusting in God's promises even when things look hard. And we know that no matter how dark the world gets, uh, that his promises are just as valid, just as powerful, just as trustworthy as they've always been. So another interesting thing to note, you know, 
from the perspective of Isaac, you know, he's this 30-year-old guy who just gets, like, he probably doesn't, like, we don't even get any indication in the story that he gets told what's going on. He just gets, like, tied up and put on this altar. And I have to imagine, you know, like, as a 30-year-old guy and his dad's 130, if he didn't want to do it, he's probably not going to be on that altar. You know, like, I, I can just imagine that he could easily overpower his, his, his dad at this point. Um, but there had to be a trust there as well, that his dad was hearing from the Lord and that he could trust him. Um, and there's another really beautiful parallel, in Romans 12. It says, I beseech you, therefore, or I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Or another translation uh, has that as your act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I think that when we read these verses and we think about the parallels to Isaac's story, I think that God's calling us to willingly submit ourselves to God. Uh, and I don't say that lightly like that. That is hard, you know, to willingly put yourself uh, on the altar as a living sacrifice because as a living sacrifice, uh, you squirm and like you, you get down off the altar. Um, you try and get away sometimes. Uh, but we can do this, as it says, by the mercy of God. And I think that by this willing act of worship, that God starts to work this beautiful thing of uh, transforming in our lives. Uh, we start to walk out this process of sanctification on a daily basis. So we're going to close, um, and I'm going to have Kaylee come back up and lead us in a worship song before we transition to prayer. Um, but I would just encourage you that, like, sometimes God may may say something to you. You know, he might, he might give you something that you know is a direction from the Lord. And it might, it might be weird. Uh, you know, first of all, I would tell you, make sure you're hearing from the Lord and that it wasn't, you know, some kind of, you know, weird shrimp that you had for lunch or something, you know, or like old food or, you know, whatever. Or somebody else put an idea in your brain about what God tells you. God's got your phone number himself. He can tell you what he wants from you, but, um, you know, when you feel like you hear from the Lord and it lines up with what he says in the word, um, be confident that, like, the promises of God are behind that, you know, and that, that God is not slack concerning his promise, um, and that God is fully able to keep his promises and provide everything that you need. Let's pray.